Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles there, you might want to open up to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, just looking at one verse today, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. But if you want to have a look at it, there it is. Um, today is Vision Sunday. Yes. And Jacob is excited about that. See, so there's two of us. Heather is mildly excited, and I think the rest will we'll be putting an ECG on you later, just to check. All right. In 2009, um, a journalist decided he wanted to do an experiment to test how powerful a story is, the difference a story can make to a thing. And so he bought 200 items off eBay... Cheap items, the average price was about 60 cents. And he contacted 200 authors and he said to the authors, I want you all each to write a story for one of these items. Then he posted those items back on eBay with the accompanying story. Ooh, I like that. Okay, ooh. It cost him in total $189 to purchase the items. Do you know how much he sold them for? $8,000. And what he discovered is what we already know. Yes, he's a scammer. Um, (laughs) What he discovered, uh, uh, testing out this hypothesis, what was what we already know is that stories have a way of grabbing us and pulling us in in a way that just raw facts and figures and data doesn't. Now, this is something a lot of people understand. I know that when we were um, in, in Paris, we were walking across a bridge one day and there was a big push on for breast cancer research. But rather than have information booths about breast cancer and the, the, you know, how devastating it actually is, the entire bridge was covered in posters of people who were either suffering from breast cancer or breast cancer survivors. It had their photo and it had their story. So, so what it was, this is no longer about the data around breast cancer. This was Monique, and Monique was 35. She was married and she had two children, and so on and so on and so on. So there was just poster after poster after poster. And, and you know, the people who do the child sponsorship stuff have been, on this, been, been on, uh, onto this thing for a long time as well. You know, they could tell you, as they do, about the statistics to do with poverty and the needless and senseless suffering and death of millions of children because of that. And, but, but I guess because we live in a world where, you know, we've got these really quick news cycles and we're bombarded by so much stuff, we kind of get a little bit desensitised to it, but also because we get a little bit overwhelmed by it as well. Because when we look at that need, we think, how on earth could I do anything about that? And so they flip the story to no longer being about these abstract details about poverty and malnutrition and suffering and death. And they tell you the story about Miriam, who's seven, who has to go and collect water every morning because her dad is incapacitated and her mum is already at work eking out what meagre existence she possibly can. And Miriam, who's seven, who should be at school, she's not. She's looking after her family just so they can survive. And what that does is we go, I can't change, I cannot 
I cannot stop poverty, but you know what? I can do something about Miriam's situation, yes? I can make the world a little bit different for Miriam, and in that way, I can do something. So stories are powerful because they are personal. They embody and they incarnate the thing that we want to get across, and they make the abstract concrete. And what I want to suggest to us this morning in our Vision Sunday is that is the task of the church, There's lots of ways to understand church and what we're on about and what we're supposed to do. And we've got bits and pieces and verses for this and verses for that. But in the final analysis, the reason the church exists is to embody the good news of the kingdom and to show the world that our God reigns through Jesus. Amen? That is the task of the church. And I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. His intent, that is God's intent, was now... That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I like the way the message actually says it a little bit better. It says, through followers of Jesus, like yourselves, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is uh, becoming known and talked about even among the angels. How is this extraordinary extraordinary plan of God being made known? It is being made known through followers of Jesus like us, like you and like me, like you and like me. God is revealing his plans and his purposes for all of creation through us. Is that a humbling thought or what? And guess, you know what his backup plan is? There isn't one. His plan is to reveal his plan for all of creation through his church, through followers of Jesus like you and like me, like us, gathered in churches. And that doesn't mean sitting in church on Sunday. It means those who form the church. God's purposes are being known, made known through us. So when God wanted to to let the world know what he was doing and what it was going to look like. He didn't send a plan, he formed a people. And as you read the Bible, you see right back at the beginning with Abraham and then through Moses, he called out a people, a nation, Israel. He formed them into a nation. And he said, you are going to be for me a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, a people belonging to me that you can declare my praises. He said, this is how I'm going to let people not just know, but see what it's like when I get my way. And then through Jesus, that plan opened up to international scope. And so it was no longer just one people from one nation. It was a people from many nations who were going to form the people of God again as a living, breathing example of what the world looks like when God rules and reigns and gets his way. We were to embody the story of the kingdom of God and what it looks like when God is in charge. Now, I think that is simultaneously the best plan and the worst plan ever. Okay, why? Because it comes down to people like you and me. Yes? Okay, it's a fantastic plan, but it is so fraught with the capacity to go wrong that it's not funny because it it rests on fragile, flawed human beings like you and me. See, when the church does it well, when you and I, so whenever I use the word church, who am I talking about? You and me, right? Whenever we do this well, 
There is nothing like it. Oh, last night I was just scrolling through Twitter, as is my want to look at things that make me angry before I go to bed. Um, it helps to sleep. And um, there was just this photo of a man standing with a wheelchair in the surf with a young, like, young woman in it. And so I clicked on it to read the story. And the story was that this young woman had never been to the beach. She'd never been able to get into the water. Such was her condition and the logistics around moving her. It just wasn't possible. But a local pastor had heard about our situation and so he spent an entire week hunting down a purpose-built wheelchair that would enable her to be able to be pushed into the surf. And you should have seen the comments that followed. You know, normally when you put anything religious or Christian on Twitter, you may as well just say, slap me around the face now. All right? But this was overwhelmingly positive. This was, this was people, that is beautiful. That is wonderful. Isn't it great to see Christians doing something nice? Which, it, it's kind of like... Yeah, that shouldn't be happening. Um, we should never be saying, isn't it nice when we see Christians doing something nice? And it was just overwhelmingly positive. See, when we do it well, there is nothing like it. It is beautiful. It is captivating. It gets the attention of even some of the most hardened people who go, there is something special about that that I really like, that actually resonates with me. But when we get it wrong, as we so often do, we don't enhance the story with that God wants to tell, we repudiate it, don't we? We repudiate that story. We, we bring the gospel, we bring the good news, we bring the whole Jesus story, the church stuff, all of that, we bring it into disrepute and it turns people off. And I'm not just talking about that on an individual level, I'm talking about that collectively. You know, when, when people see churches tearing themselves apart and treating each other badly, they think, why on earth would I ever bother with that? And I don't blame them, you? Why would you bother with that? Life's tough enough without adding Sunday angst, isn't it? You know? Why would you bother doing stuff like that? It repudiates the message that we're trying to bring. Why do you think that Jesus said things like, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if what? You have love one for one another. Not, not by the fact that you happen to, you know, convene in a building on a Sunday morning. Not that you carry a little Bible, not that you go out on a Wednesday night to meet with other people and discuss things about God. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That should be 101, shouldn't it? You know, if we can't love one another, how on earth could we possibly love everyone else? And that was going to be the defining factor of the church. That we would stand out by the way we love and relate to one another and then it would spread out from there. The story we embody has to resonate with the message that we promote it's the life we live not just the words we say that matters and coincidentally as after I finished putting this message sort of together on Thursday I sort of prayed you know God if, if there's anything I've missed or anything else just just let me know over the next couple of days I'll I'll, I'll be around and um, and uh, I just popped onto Facebook because I am a dedicated committed Christian who follows our church on Facebook. Um, 
I mean, there it is, part of the litmus test. One of the other verses in the Bible that you don't see is, by this all men shall know you are my disciples, if you follow Restore Church on social media. That is in the Greek, but we'll talk about that another day. So, so I, was, I went on because I like to check our feeds. They're incre- Has anyone checked out the feeds? They're really, like, great, you know. Take 60 seconds to pray for your, for your spouse. You know, meditate on this verse. Send an encouraging verse. Who sent an encouraging text to someone this week? Come on, put your hands up. Put your hands in the air like you just don't care. Okay, one, two, three. About six or seven of us. And it felt good, didn't it? It felt good to do that, to actually go, yeah, you know what? That person has been on my mind, and I, didn't, I don't normally say anything, but I'm just going to let them know how encouraging they are and what they mean to me. So I, so I actually did that. Anyway, I digress. I was following on, on Facebook, and um, a quote popped up from a guy called John Owen. Now, John Owen is known to most of us who've been here for a while. He used to, you know, was involved out at uh, Urban Neighbours of Hope out in Bidwell. He used to come to this church quite a bit. Uh, but now he's the pastor at the Wayside Chapel. And there was just a, he was telling a story, but they always put up a little soundbite about what it's about. And his soundbite was this. Our philosophy counts for nothing unless, is it in, unless it is embodied in acts of kindness. And I just thought, thank you for the confirmation, God, because this is exactly what I'm saying this morning. We could equally say our theology counts for nothing unless is it, it is embodied in a life of love. I mean, our theology counts for nothing unless it is embodied individually and collectively in lives of love. You and I are the story. We are the story. The church is the people who comprise it. And the story we tell is the composite story of our individual lives. Okay? The story that this church tells is the composite of our lives combined. It's not something that is apart or distinct from us. The church, if we want it to be loving, is only as ever as loving as you and I are loving. The church is only as generous as you and I are generous. It is only as accepting and inclusive and welcoming as you and I are all of those things. It is only as daring as you and me. It is only ever as persistent as you and me. It is only ever as faithful as you and me. You're starting to get my drift? Okay. That's we set the tone. We tell the story. And that is why I laugh sometimes when people say to me, you know, the church should do this or the church is that or the church isn't that. I want to say to them, who do you think the church is? The church is not something that exists apart from or distinct from you. You are the church. So, you know what? We don't see many people getting saved in this church. When was the last time you talked to someone about Jesus? Oh, sorry, is that someone else's job? No, it's our job. This church isn't very welcoming. Well, when was the last time you went up and spoke to someone you didn't know and made them feel welcome here? Whatever shortcomings we see in the church, it's down to us. And whatever great things we see in the church, it's down to us. And that's why I love it when people say to me, Man, you know what? I came to your church and I couldn't get out the door because I was bombarded with people who were sticking complimentary coffee cards in my hand, talking to me the whole time. You know, your church is one of the most friendly churches I've been to. And I'm like, that's right, because the people here are friendly. Yes? 
There's not some structure in place for us to be friendly. It's not a duty that we're doing so people will be friendly. It's friendly because we genuinely have people in here who love to see new people and love to make people feel welcome and realise that sometimes when people are stepping into a church, it may be the first time they've ever done that or done that in a long time and they're going to be scared and they're going to be disoriented and they're not going to know what they do and we want to make them feel as relaxed as possible in that. That's who we've got in our church. So when people tell me, oh, Restore such a friendly church, yes, because Restore are friendly people. So it can be negative and it can be positive. Our goal is to diminish the negative and to ramp up the positive as much as we possibly can. All understanding that we are flawed human beings and we make mistakes and we don't always get it right. But it should never stop us trying to reach for the call that has been placed on our life, yes? That's the standard. I don't have any excuses because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yes? We have been empowered. This morning we were singing about the Spirit and come Holy Spirit. Not so we can get the feels, so we can live the life we've been called to live. God lives out his life from within us in his power, amen? All right? But that's the standard, so we do our best to diminish the negative, and, but we aim for the highest and we can do it because we have the source of all life and love living in us. So nothing is impossible. It just takes our willpower, it takes our decisions, it takes our faith, our willingness to step out and take risks and do things that we find uncomfortable for the sake of the world. That's all it takes. And then we step out and we watch what God does. Amen. It should be really straightforward, but sometimes it's just not. So one of the problems we butt up against continually, and I, this is a simplistic version, so please don't read too much into it, is that somewhere over the, over the time since Jesus, you know, a couple of thousand years, the Christianity morphed into a religion. And what that means is that people are able to be a part of the church to all sorts of levels without ever really have to face up to the demands of personal discipleship, okay? That's where we've gone wrong. And so now it's entirely possible for us to be involved in church and not really be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And that's where things get messy. That's what dilutes and corrupts the story and damages the mission of the church. Because you know what? In the final analysis, it's not church members, it's not people who are just happy to have their name on a church roll that actually manifest the life and love of Jesus in the kingdom. It's disciples. It's disciples. It's people who have devoted their life to listening to and following and obeying Jesus. They're the people that manifest this life. And the single, I believe it's honestly the single biggest reason the church at large at the moment, and if you look at the data, if you look at the statistics, it's pretty much true everywhere. This is the single biggest reason why the church is struggling today. We are not doing what God has called us to do, and that is simply be and make the disciples we're meant to do. Now, we could blame the world and all the factors out there, and let's face it, the world is getting more complicated. It is a tough, it is a tough gig. It's hard to reach people. But there is no world so tough that a dedicated bunch of Jesus followers can't reach an impact. Remember that the church was birthed in a world that was far more hostile to the church than the world that exists now. And it took off like wildfire. And we need to also remember that God's only got one plan. 
He's only got one plan, to embody his purpose and his plans through the church, you and me. So it stands to reason that when God came up with this plan, he said to himself, this is a plan that is going to work no matter what happens in the world. Yes? This plan will work. It doesn't matter whether the world is this way, that way, or that way. This plan stands the test and will work. It will happen. That's why he said to us that we were to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Because when we do that, when we bring people in to a life of loving and following Jesus and living out the values and living out the call of the kingdom, we stand out as a story in a dark world that entices people and encourages them to seek out a better life. Because that's what it looks like when God is in charge. That's what it looks like when God gets his way. And that's what we're inviting you into. That's what's going on. It's powerful and it never fails to work. Does anyone know what these are? Well done. Well done, Jaken. Like those 12 years at school, they really paid off, didn't they? Yeah. Bible college. Yes, they're Christian scissors. Well spotted. Okay. You get these at Kurong. You can't buy them anywhere else. They are Christian scissors, right? And they cut Christianly. Okay. How long do you think scissors have been around? They were first invented around 4,000 years ago. And you know what they look like 4,000 years ago? (laughs) Now, now, yes, without the plastic, okay. Um, There's, there's, you know, there are variations on a theme. You can put plastic handles. There are left-handed, right-hand ones. You can cut different shapes, etc., etc. But fundamentally that has never, ever, ever been improved upon. And I think when it comes to what I'm talking about today, you know, and and pretty much with anything really, we're always looking for something new. We're always looking for that new thing, that shiny thing that offers a whole lot of promise because, you know, things aren't working, things aren't going our way, whatever. So we look for that new thing to get on onto, something that's going to be a little bit more convenient, something that's going to deliver results with less, less effort. We'll always jump on the new band. But the reality is sometimes there is just no improvement on the old, all right? There is power sometimes in the same thing because it can't be done any other way and it most certainly can't be done any better and as that applies to us I think you know as church we can change a whole range of things we can change our aesthetic you know we can be contemporary in terms of the culture all sorts of little peripheral things bits and pieces here and there but the bottom line is the one thing that we can never change is our call to go into all the world and to make disciples because that's the thing that's ultimately going to change the world. When more and more people begin to live life as God intended it, to live like God is in charge and getting his way, manifesting the kingdom of God in their midst, how they relate to their families, how they relate to one another, how they relate to those outside. When people do that, the world starts to take notice and systematically get changed the best way for the church to change the world is simply to be the church that's it it's just it's scissors we've just got to keep being scissors there's a tweetable quote isn't it so oblique that if you put that up no one will know what we're talking about but you guys know what we're talking about okay that's it all of us follow jesus together and watch what happens
And that is why our mission statement as a church is to lead people to live the way of Jesus. And why we say that is because we are convinced that the way of Jesus is the best possible way to live. We also believe it embodies the story of what the gospel is all about and it is the way that God changes the world. Because of its attractiveness, people see it and want to step into it. And I think you'd agree that a life of love is so much better than a life of hate, yes? A life of forgiveness is so much better than a life of resentment, yes? A life of hope is so much better than a a life of um, resignation, yes? A life of generosity is so much better than a life of selfishness. A life of mercy is so much better than a life of judgment. This is the life that we are invited into through Jesus. We're not invited to simply go to church and say our prayers and then keep it all private and do that. We're called into a completely different way of living. And it is not easy and it is not cheap. And that's why Jesus said, I want you to count the cost. I want you to take up your cross. I want you to take the narrow road because it's not easy following me, but it's always fulfilling. And when we begin to embody the countercultural life and living that is involved in the kingdom, then we will see people start to say, what is it that you've got? Because I'm interested in finding out about that. That's why this year and beyond, our main focus is only going to be very simply on discipleship helping us be better followers of Jesus. Not people who are, um, again, better informed about Jesus through listening and through studies, but people who are transformed through obedience and faith. That is our goal for the year. And our strategy for doing that is very simple this year. And Jacob and I were talking about this out in the hall just before church, and we said, he and I are going to get so sick and tired of repeating ourselves this year, it's not funny. So we kind of have to hold each other to account on this, because unless this stuff takes, nothing will change. And so our strategy is very simple. One, We are going to be encouraging you to get serious or more serious about your own personal growth. Because discipleship starts with personal responsibility, doesn't it? Discipleship starts with personal responsibility. If you aren't investing in your own relationship with Jesus, there's nothing much else we can do. And so to help you in that, we're going to do a raft of things. One is we are doing these things on social media every day. Again, we might think, well, that's a bit of a gimmick. Who cares? Actually, you imagine in the course of your day being called just to stop and to do some spiritual discipline, whereas you may not have had the time to do that before, your mind may be racing, you may be off somewhere else, it calls you back to remember what it's all about, even just for 60 seconds. And so that's why we're doing this. We're putting this stuff on there, so every day we are reminding you about who God is, about who you are, about how things work and our place in the world, and we're calling you back to remember that stuff. So every day there is a post, Facebook and Instagram, that it'd be, it, it, the goal is to draw you back to that stuff. We're going to point you to resources that you can use over the other 167 hours of the week. Notionally, you are in church for one hour a week. So there's 167 hours in the week that you can use to develop your relationship with Jesus because you don't need sleep. All right? Real disciples don't sleep. Gift was telling me today, uh, she's just come back from seeing her mum. Her mum is, how old? 70? 76. You know what time Gift's mum gets up to pray? Three o'clock. I know. Let's pretend we didn't hear that. All right. <laughs> Let's pretend we didn't hear that. Okay. So, you've got 167 hours in the week. 
yeah, you're at work for some of those and maybe you need to sleep, whatever. But there are things that we can do, driving to work, in our cars, listening to things. There is downtime where we can be reading stuff that's actually helpful for us, you know. We are going to be putting resources your way through our website through here each week we'll be talking about something else we think you know what this would be worth listening to Jake and I are going to be doing an extra podcast every week about helpful resources that you could lay your hands on um, it, and it could be about a range of things parenting money um, you know blah 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 anything like that social media use that's a big one these days so we're going to be putting those things in your hand because we want to help you do better in that stuff and we'll be running this is exciting our Disciple Labs. Now, for years, I've been talking about rolling out our discipleship dashboard, a way of helping keep us keep accountable individually for our own growth and development. One of the problems I've continually butted up against in that is that how do we actually have a way of consistently tracking our growth and our progress in the area? Now we have an online tool to do that. So, once a quarter, all you need to do is a very honest self-reflection questionnaire you will be scored according to your truthful answers, all right? And then you do it again and you can see where you're improving and where you're not improving. And also what we're able to do is offer you helpful next steps for areas. Either if you're doing really well, then take this step because you can grow even further. If you're struggling in an area, here's some resources, here's a podcast, here's a teaching that we recommend that you listen to because we really think this will help you grow in this area as well. So our Disciple Labs. Next week, I'm going to be looking for some lab rats, right? People who are going to help us to sort of beta test this over the next term. I'm actually very excited about that one. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to step up our connect groups, okay? So we've got personal responsibility, but then we've got our connect groups. And by that, we're creating these spaces where we can receive mutual support and accountability, okay? Because we can grow on our own, but we will grow better together, yes? That's why the Bible has so many, or the New Testament has so many one another's there. It's because we actually need one another. So these gatherings are great, but our connect groups are where the church really functions like a church, through mutual ministry to one another. I don't know about you, but there are times where I really need people to encourage me when I'm down, yes? And I need people to hold me accountable when I'm just making excuses, yes? Now, does anyone here make excuses? Heather does. The rest of you are just dishonest, so I'm holding you all accountable to that. But it's true, isn't it? We need people who can say, hey, I know you're doing it tough. Let me get alongside you and encourage you. And then there are times where we need people who go, you know what? You've been telling me you're going to do the same thing for six weeks and you've done nothing about it. What's the problem there? Because our intentions will only take us so far. Sometimes we need accountability. I love that verse in Hebrews 10, 24, 25 that says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us see how we can spur one another on towards love and good works. You know, when we get together, the purpose for us getting together is to try and help each other be the best we can possibly be. To spur one another on to love and good works. Sometimes that's encouragement. Sometimes that's accountability. All right. Now, we have some great groups going at the moment. They've been a bit hit and miss, some of them. But this year, we've got our groups, we've got our leaders, we've got the people who are heading it up, we've got our training, we've got a whole raft of things ready to go to make sure these things really, really work this year. So if you're not in a Connect group or you're toying with the idea of joining one, talk to us about it. You can email us, connect at restorechurch.com.au and we will make sure that you find a group. But watch this space, okay? And the third thing we're going to do is we're going to provide some extra equipping events. 
Because we believe that discipleship is about all of life. So sometimes we need help in other areas. It might be marriage. It might be raising our children. It might be handling our money. It could be any number of things. And we're going to get specialised people in to help us run these courses. Some of them might go for a term. Some of them might be a pop-up and only go for a short term. But they are aimed specifically at helping us to partner with you in this part of life so you can do this even better. So watch this space for those two. So that's the stuff we're focusing on this year. Getting us to be serious about our own personal growth and development. Providing um, spaces for mutual account and supportability, um, mutual support and accountability. And thirdly, specialised equipping events to help us with these other bits of life that we might be struggling with. And I believe that if we do those three things, we will see an exponential growth in our own development, in the life of the kingdom, and, can, and then, and then, people wanting to be a part of what we're doing. Not just, they're not just going to morph into it, we're going to be people who are going to be more serious about building the kingdom. We're going to be talking to people about Jesus. We're going to be inviting them to come to church. We're going to invite them to come to courses. We're going to be bringing them into the kingdom because God will be at work in us, yes? And we'll be stepping up and doing things we never thought we would do because we were always too scared or thought that we were ill-equipped and we will find out that we don't need to be scared and we are fully equipped. So that's the stuff that's going to happen for us this year. So that's, that's our vision for the year. We do have like a five, ten-year plan. You know that about some things that we are aiming for over the next five to ten years to make sure that we are still viable and effective going into the future. But for me, there is no better plan than the one God has given us, which is for the church to be the embodiment of the story of what God is doing in the world. And to that end, that's what we have committed ourselves to doing. By helping you guys, by helping ourselves be the best followers of Jesus we can be, we believe that plan, that of, a plan of God's about revealing the world as it, as it will be when he gets his way, the fullness of the kingdom, we believe that as we step it up, that will become more apparent and we will be a city on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. That's why we're doing this. I get it. It's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's hard work but we're going to do it, right? Amen. Well, thank you for putting up with me this morning. Um, I worked up a sweat, so no gym for me. But here's, here's the thing I want to do. Normally, and this, this, is, this is kind of what I'm, I'm talking about, everything we're going to be talking about here is just, just take another step. We're not, we're not asking you to go from A to Z. We're asking you to go from A to B. Right, so just take a step in the direction of something. And you know, one of the things I do sometimes, no, all the time, is I will preach and I'll just leave it. Because I'm like, and I've been feeling really convicted about saying, no, I expect a response from this, right? I'm not just going to leave this here and wasn't that nice and now I'm going to go away and have lunch and forget all about it, all right? What I'm wanting this morning is actually a commitment from us as a church, now, we don't know all the ins and outs, and we'll be rolling this out every week over the year, bits and pieces. We'll be explaining everything, how you can be involved, what you can do. But for now, in principle, who's up for what I've suggested? Okay. So as a church, and remember, God's watching, <laughs> we commit ourselves to growing this year in our own personal relationship with Jesus, yes? 
our own obedience to Jesus, yes? We commit to being stretched, yes? We commit to living a life of faith, yes? Remember, he's watching. Okay. Now, that's going to break down into a whole range of ways and steps, but for now, that's what we are committing ourselves to. And I guarantee that as we do that, we will see an amazing transformation in us, in our families, and in our church. All right? Let's, let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for this group of people. I want to thank you for their love for you, for their desire for you. The fact that, Lord, they could be anywhere today, but they are here because they value you and they want to be followers of Jesus. And so, Father, we just, we just invite you to be the one who comes and does this work in us. Um, God, we've got our bits and pieces. We're going to be as responsible as we possibly can. But we know it's only you that can bring about the true transformation and life change and results that needs to happen. So, God, let us be co-laborers with you in this, co-workers with you in this. Um, Father, so I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for the commitment they have made. And, God, I just want to speak over them that, Lord, um, you know, we don't despise the day of small beginnings. And that what begins here today is just a commitment. Uh, maybe not even a full understanding of what we're committing to, you are going to grow and you're going to turn into something magnificent. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.